Hey, glad you're here. Um, I just want to just want to speak honor for a moment in that. Uh, hopefully, if you've been coming to Cornerstone for any length of time at all, you've heard us over and over and over again say, "Look, if you simply sit in the purple chair on Sunday morning, you'll never get far enough fast enough." And so, part of what we over and over again encourage is say, "Look, you've got to find another venue." in which you're studying God's Word, being held accountable by other believers. Uh, And I just honor you for being here tonight. I know it's another night out. I know for some of you it meant babysitters and other inconveniences. had to rush home from work to do it. I just speak honor to say that you would take this time to say, look, I'm going to dig into God's Word. I want to go further than I can go just in the purple chairs on Sunday. So thank you for doing that, and thanks for being part of that. And... uh, being here at the mine. I've got a couple of announcements as we get ready and get started. This is kind of that housekeeping stuff as we begin a brand new um, semester here in the mine. Uh, first is this. Uh, sometimes there are people who come to the mine who don't normally come to Cornerstone. And we just want to say to you real quickly, if you're not part of a Bible-believing church, uh, we're in the middle of a series right now that... Um, is all about marriage. We're having a great conversation, a great time. And so we just want to extend to you an an offer to say, hey, you might want to come and join us for this. We think it's a a great talk. If you're part of a church that's solid on scripture and teaching the word of God, then stay at your church. Okay. Do that. Uh, we're, We're not about trading the saints. So, uh, but if you don't have a church home, you're more than welcome to be here. Uh, just to tell everybody else, uh, a guy by the name of Mark Gunger is going to be here this Sunday. I don't know that we said this very well. This guy is nationally known for talking about marriage. He is hilarious. Uh, the guy is going to have you, uh, in stitches, I guarantee you on Sunday. But the cool part is in the midst of laughing, all of a sudden he drops real bombs of truth right in the middle of it. And all of a sudden you go, Oh, wow. I think he just talked to me. So you're going to have, I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to have a blast. My best guess, guys, and part of what you need to know, we're bringing him back in about four weeks. He's going to do his full-blown seminar on uh, marriage, uh, which I think is called Laugh Your Way to a Healthy Marriage. Um, we believe that is going to sell out. And this Sunday is the last time that you can register for $59 per couple and get it at that rate. That's a cornerstone-only rate. And then it's going to go out public and go everywhere else. It'll be more expensive. You and I will not be able to get that rate after Sunday. So if you hear them Sunday and if it makes any sense, and you like, be sure and get signed up. Sign your friends up this Sunday uh, to get that. Uh, the other thing is, is that um, if you have prayer needs, uh, there's two things uh, that you can do. One is you can just simply fill out a card uh, and drop it in any of the towers back there, your staff will pray over it. Your staff prays over every prayer request that comes in every single Tuesday. And we promise we'll do that. We promise honor it. The cool thing is the mine has a really, really healthy, strong prayer team. And they also would just absolutely love to pray for you. They'll keep it anonymous, um, but they would love to do that for you. So again, you can just write down your prayer request on a piece of paper, on a card. I think there's some stuff in the back of the seats. You can give it to the info booth on the outside out there, and they will pray for it. If you're someone who would like to join the prayer team, also go to that info booth and let them know, and they would love to have you be part of it. Uh, email. Um, there are things that go on just for the mine, info that you're going to want to have. We're going to get that to you through just like a little bulletin thing that we're going to send out maybe once a month type of a deal. If you would like to receive that in just a little while, they're going to be passing around clipboards. You can fill that out. Let us know. I want to get updated info when things are going on or changing or happening at the mine. Um, If you already get that from us, you do not need to sign up again. But if you do not get it and want it, please do that tonight. Okay. Uh, We're going to be digging in tonight. If you've got your Bibles, we'll just go there. We're going to go and start working through the book of Ephesians together. I needed to pick a short book this time so that we could maybe get through it. And uh, so we're going after the book of Ephesians. If you're not real familiar with your Bible, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this uh, book of Ephesians. Probably about an eighth of the way in on your Bible. While you guys are going there, let me say a couple things that those of you that are uh, have been part of the mind would probably know these things already. Um, 
as we get started tonight, we're going to, a little bit of what we're going to do is a little bit of review. We're going to talk about some things we've already talked about. So when you see people hopefully raising their hands and having the answers and you go, how in the world did they know that? Do not conclude that you are in the wrong room. They were here last semester. They heard these. And next semester, you'll be the one with your hand up going, oh, I, I know that answer. Um, so don't let that worry you too much. And, and if you're trying to figure out if this is the right room for you or if this is the right level of Bible study, we would say that this is Bible college level Bible study. And uh, if, 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 if you come for, you know, five, six weeks and say, wow, this is way, way, way over my head, say something to someone. We'll find you a place that really, really works for you. Uh, here's the other part. I guarantee you there will be moments in this semester that you will not agree with me. I guarantee you. Uh, you're going to be sitting there all of a sudden and you're going to say, that is not what my grandma told me. Uh, that's not what I heard in Sunday school when I was a kid. And you just need to know that's okay. Because uh, we're simply here to try to dig through God's word and get to the answers we think are there together as honestly and as straightforwardly as we can. If you aren't sure, or if you struggle, there is absolute freedom tonight for you to raise your hand and say, hey, wait a minute, I think I've heard different than that. Would you answer that? Would you respond? We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, and we'll do it as friends, and we'll be good. If you still leave here at the end of the night, and you go, look, I just, I just don't think I get that. I, just, I think that we, we got off track, and I don't think it's right. Then here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Go find Scripture, okay? Because at the end of the day, and we're going to say this over and over again, I don't care what your grandma said, okay? It doesn't matter, okay? She was really, really good at baking cookies. She, well, anyways, so go find Scripture. And if you find Scripture and you come back, I will spend all the time you want, and we'll go through Scripture together, either before or after the mine. You can bring it up at the mine. We'll dig in together because at the end of the day, we're all looking to get to the truth of God's Word. So it's okay to disagree as long as you back it with Scripture, Okay? You can't back it with, I was once on a hunting trip, and when I stumbled and fell and hit my head, God told me. That doesn't work, but Scripture does, okay? So feel free to do that. The other thing that's going to happen tonight is that we are going to have microphone runners. So you see them up here at the front. If you have a question, stick your hand up, stick it up high. Our microphone runners are going to run the microphone to you. Part of why we're doing on the microphone is we're taping tonight. We want to be sure that people who are listening to it get a chance to hear your question. And we'll answer your question. And here's what you need to know. I love questions. Questions are good. Questions help me know if you're understanding what we're saying. Questions help me know if I've gotten off on something. You go, wow, I, I had, how did you get to that? And you'll actually help me be a much better teacher tonight if you ask questions. If you ask too many, then we'll just say, look, uh, come to me afterwards and, and we'll deal with it afterwards. But feel free tonight to ask questions, okay? I'll be better, you'll be better, and the 10 people who have the same question as you do but were afraid to raise their hand will be better tonight, okay? All right, so here we go. Grab our Bibles. We're going to dig in. Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, uh, the book of Ephesians was written to a church in the city of... Oh, wow. You guys are sharp, sharp, sharp tonight. Okay, let me start reading. It's going to be uh, chapter 1, verse 1, here's what it says. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Okay, what is an apostle? Okay, he's a messenger. What else? Someone who was taught by Jesus personally. Okay, someone who was, and I'm going to amend that a little bit. Someone who was present and there at the ministry of Jesus Christ. Had to have witnessed the ministry of Jesus Christ. What else does it take to be an apostle? Had to witness the ministry of Jesus. Had to what? Okay, we got one in the back back here too. Had to be called. Had to be called by Jesus. All right. So that's two. All right, I'm going to write them down. Witness to the teachings had to be called by Jesus. What else? Anybody know? And to testify to the resurrection. Had to have seen the resurrection. You guys are doing good. Now, here's an interesting question real quick. Paul, who writes 
the vast majority of our New Testament was not one of the original 12 who we typically refer to as the apostles. How does Paul end up fulfilling the qualifications? He wasn't there as one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't there at the tomb. How does Paul become an apostle? Okay, we're going... Okay. He um, was approached by Jesus after the resurrection. Okay, he's approached by Jesus after the resurrection. Do we remember where it was? Yeah, road to Damascus. And you remember, Paul actually starts out as Saul as an absolute God-hater and Christian persecutor. He's actually on his way to Damascus to kill believers. Jesus stops him and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And there on the road to Damascus, Paul ends up called by Jesus. Okay, so which qualifications does that give him by meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus? He's called. What else does he get? Witness to the resurrection. Because the resurrected Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, right? Okay, so what about witnessing the teaching of Jesus? He was around... How do we know that Paul was around when Jesus was doing ministry? Because he's like one of the Pharisees. He is. He's one of the Pharisees. He actually grows up to be a Pharisee. Here's the interesting thing, though, is that during the ministry of Jesus specifically, Paul is a young man. And we get a tiny little snippet of introduction to him. Does anyone remember what it is? Didn't he hold the coats? During the stoning of Stephen. There you go. Okay. So the first martyr in Scripture, which is Stephen, okay, he's being stoned for giving testimony and teaching about Jesus. And the Scripture just quietly inserts in there, and a young man by the name of Saul held their coats of the men who threw the rocks to stone Stephen to death. So what we know is, is that Paul was around and exposed to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay. Third qualification. Now, here's why we took a moment to stop and do that. There are Christians today who are going to tell you that they believe in a thing called, you ready? Apostolic succession. And what they're saying when they say that is, one of the apostles then took his apostolic mantle and handed it to somebody, we're not sure who they were, but handed it to somebody who handed it to somebody who we're not sure who they were, but handed it to somebody who's not sure who they were, but handed it to someone else who we're not sure who they were, but I'm pretty sure they handed it to me. And so I am a modern day apostle. And in that moment, here's what they're claiming. They are claiming that they have greater authority than other believers, and they're claiming that they are hearing new messages from God. You and I know that's impossible because, why? To be an apostle, you have to have the qualifications. And nobody living today can say they were around during the ministry of Jesus Christ, can say that Jesus appeared to them in person, and call them into ministry, okay? And if they do, uh, you call the men in the white coats, okay? So it, it, we just say that. As a matter of fact, once in a while you'll see, and I'm, I'm not throwing stones, I'm just, we're just putting it out there, you'll see a church and it'll say apostolic da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's exactly what they're claiming. That's exactly what they're saying about them, that they have a special word from God that the rest of us don't have because of apostolic succession, Okay? All right, glad we know an apostle is. Let's keep going. Uh, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, hey, grace. Oh, okay. How does that differ from hearing God speak to you yourself, that they hear God? You know what? Okay, that's good. How does that differ from hearing God speak to your heart? Okay. Um, I don't know. No. <laughs> Actually, that's a great question. You get, and we're, matter of fact, we're going to do a series on this probably this next year about how do you know God's will and how do, what do you do when you're trying to search for what God wants you to do and it's not clearly revealed in Scripture and you're praying about it and you, you think you have a sense about what God's saying to your heart, but you know, you're you not 100% sure. What do you do with that and how do you respond to that? And here's the part that I would just say out loud is that even in the midst of that, and here's, here's what you need to know, guys, 
as frustrating as it is to know God's will, you get that God enjoys this. That God actually wants us to have to seek Him. He wants us to pursue Him. There is something in the heart of God that is absolutely blessed when His children chase after His information. Matter of fact, one thing that's really interesting because I'm a senior pastor in a church and so a lot of people go, hey, no one's the boss of you. You know, you get to tell everybody else what to do, but no one's the boss of you. And I go, you're crazy. Jesus is the boss of me. And I'm not allowed to make a decision. I I can't do anything until I try to seek his face and try to say, God, what do you want to do? And my boss, my direct report, I have to wait for answers. I have to seek his face. I, I have to listen to every little syllable that he's saying because I don't want to get this wrong. The truth is, I, I have to seek my boss. You're lucky because your boss walks in and tells you when you blow it. Gives you a little pink slip and says, don't do it again. I, I have to seek. And the truth is, every believer is in that same position. We all have to chase after God. But here's the thing. When you and I are chasing after God and trying to find His will, and now I'm getting to the answer to what you asked, I believe that every one of us, in order to have integrity, has to say this about that moment. I believe this is what God is asking me to do. I think, as best I understand, after praying, after searching, I think, the best I understand, God is saying, move to New Mexico. Whatever that answer is, I believe you and I, if we're having integrity in the moment, have to say, this is my best understanding of what God is doing in my life right now. Does that make sense? Because at that moment, here's what you're not claiming. God told me. Because guys, I'm just going to say out loud. If you say that, if you say, God told me. Well, you just opened a whole new can of worms. Because here's the deal. If you say, God told me, and then you don't do it. What's that? That's disobedience then. You just declared, I'm sinning because I told you that God told me something and I didn't do it. Or what if you start to do it and then quit? That would be sin. If God told you to do it and then you quit when going through, that would be sin. What if you start to do it and it ends up being the worst decision of your life? Then God made a, a mistake. Isn't it more likely that maybe you didn't understand what he asked you to do in the first place? So here's the difference. You and I, I think, have to spend our lives saying, as best I understand, this is what God is leading me to. A person who claims to be an apostle is going to say, no, 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 no. God told me. And the minute you say God told me, here's the deal. If God said it, I mean, if if God told you, then it's scripture. I mean, isn't that exactly what the Bible is? The Bible is every time that God spoke to a man and said, this thus says the Lord. We wrote it down. It's scripture. And if God is speaking to you directly, then we need to find a couple blank pages at the back of our Bible and start writing that down. Because it's it's the utterances of God. And the utterances of God are without failure, And all of eternity hangs on their truth. And if you and I are going to claim, I have heard from God, then we're going to have to start the book of Tom and keep going. Does that make sense? Okay. And that's the difference. You and I all the time, I think, have the privilege of saying, this is what I believe God is saying to me. I'm going forward trusting that I think I've heard his voice. But you and I can never say with definitiveness, thus said the Lord. Because when you and I declare that, you and I take it to a completely different level. Paul, as an apostle, was able to say that. Paul, when he writes scripture, says, this is what God said, period. And the dotting of the I's and the crossing of the T's are exactly what he said to me. That's different. Okay, good question. Yeah. Uh, My question is, um, there's places in the Bible that explains the qualifications of a lot of offices in the church, deacons and such. Mm -hmm. Um, Where can we go to to find the three qualifications um, for apostles? Oh, uh, you're going to probably find 
you'll find the majority of the qualifications in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. And instead of us going there, because that's, you know, it just takes time, but all they're doing right there, and you'll remember the moment, uh, is uh, Judas has betrayed Jesus. He went out and hung himself and died. And now the disciples at the very beginning of the book of Acts say, look, we need to find somebody to replace Judas. And as they do that and they start talking about what they're looking for, they talk about it's got to be someone who's with us if we're in the very beginning of Jesus' teachings. It's got to be someone who's a witness to the resurrection. They go through pretty much the list of qualifications. The only one they don't list for sure there is um, called by Jesus specifically. Yeah. Good questions. All right, here we go. Ah, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is verse 3. Oh, wait, wait, go go back to verse 2. We skipped. Go back to verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is grace? This is another one we should know. What is grace? Unmerited favor. That's a great Bible answer. Thank you. Put it in English for me. Make it simpler. Tell, all right, here, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here, let, me, let me say it this way. Tell your nine-year-old grandson what grace is. A gift I don't deserve. And that's, that's good enough. Okay? It's God giving me something I don't deserve to get. Okay? So unmerited favor is accurate. It's just two big of words. Okay? So a gift I don't deserve. Okay. Let me give an example of that. I'm nine years old. I go to work uh, for my uncle who owns a landscaping company. My uncle took me in because my mom and dad had just divorced and uh, he needed slave labor. And uh, I worked for him in the summer mowing lawns. He owned landscape. We'd mow lawns. We'd mow between 11 and 14 lawns in this heat. I'm nine years old. I'm behind a commercial-grade lawnmower. I'm running. I'm running across these lawns mowing as fast as I can. My uncle paid me, you ready, $2 a day. Okay? And I'm not so old that that was good pay. Okay? It was horrible pay. And uh, I worked all summer for my uncle. And we got to the other end of the summer... And uh, he took me to a gun shop. He was a big hunter and uh, took me in. And I bought my first deer rifle. He handed me my summer's worth of pay. I bought my first deer rifle. Was that grace? No, I'd earned that deer rifle. I'd earned that deer rifle at $2 a day. I had earned that deer rifle. And I had every right to say, no, 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 no. Uncle Marty did not give me this. I earned this that had nothing at all to do with grace my same uncle marty spent hours and hours and hours with a nine-year-old little boy who had just lost his dad and he lived in front of me what it was like to be a man and what it meant to be loyal and faithful to your wife and to love your kids with all your heart And he gave to me what no other man in this world was willing to give me as a nine-year-old boy. Was that grace? Yeah, that was grace. He didn't owe that to me. I didn't deserve it. And I thank God every day for those summers and for an uncle who loved me enough to do something that wasn't his direct responsibility for a nine-year-old little boy. That was grace. Grace is Jesus doing something for you and me that we did not earn, we do not deserve. We cannot lay any claim and say, look, I I was better than my neighbor. I was a really good guy. I went to church enough times. Grace is God doing something for me that I had no way to lay claim on. Does that make sense? And, when, and I'm just going to say to you guys, when that sinks in, we, we're so weird in this world. We, you know, How many times do you hear people say, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to church, but I've got to clean up my life first. You don't understand grace. You don't understand Jesus. Because the whole conversation is, you can't. Okay? So grace is God doing something for me. I just, I can't earn. I didn't earn. He gave it. Because I needed it. Okay? It's not in the text. 
What is mercy? What is mercy? That's the opposite. It's basically not getting what we deserve. Okay, and there, there's why we brought it up. Grace is getting something I did not deserve. Mercy is not getting what I did. Mercy is God letting me off the hook for my sin. Mercy is not getting what I should have gotten. Okay? And that's mercy. All right, and then let's keep going. Uh, Verse 3, we are cruising. Praise. (laughs) This is the part you skip over usually when you read your Bibles, right? So, all right. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What in the world is that? What does it mean when Scripture says, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What does that mean? Who wants to take a stab at it? Anybody? Okay, somebody, yeah, someone was brave back there. Uh, that through Christ's atonement, we become sons and daughters of, of God. Okay. And we're entitled to the blessings of, of that. Okay. And you're dead on. Okay. So let's, let's, let's go back for a second. Let's talk about why that's important. Does God bless us in this life with every spiritual blessing? Isn't that a great question? Does God bless us in this life with every spiritual blessing? All right, let's take a vote. How many say, I think God blesses us in this life with every spiritual blessing? I think yes. Okay. How many say, I don't think so. How many say, I did not raise my hand because I was not going to look dumb the first night? Okay. All right. And the answer is no. No. He doesn't. You and I don't collect on this thing all the way. Now, here's the deal. Here's what we had to get, and here's why we got confused. You and I, immediately when we become Christians, get some of the spiritual blessing. Okay? We get the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're inducted into the family of God. You and I get part of it. It's almost like the down payment on what God is going to eventually do in our lives. But you and I don't get every spiritual blessing here in the earth. And I mean, just for example, when you and I get to heaven, okay, everything becomes fair. He's going to put all of the wrongs right. He's going to set every balance straight in heaven. When's the last time you got fair on earth? If you've even gotten it a couple times, you were pretty darn lucky. Okay? So you and I don't get every blessing yet. We just get a down payment on those blessings. So let's talk for a second about what are the spiritual blessings that you and I get? What are they? We already said one. What did we say? Where was it? Huh? Okay. Sonship. Okay. And that that can be used in the feminine term for all you ladies. Okay. Daughtership. What else? What else is our spiritual blessing? Holy Spirit. And guys, you get you get that the Holy Spirit is a big, big deal. This is the only era ever in the history of all of humanity in which the Holy Spirit was promised to human beings. And you need to know that when you go back into the Old Testament, times like with King David, you realize that in that period of time, only one or two people in the entire generation would potentially have the Holy Spirit. The prophet would have the Holy Spirit. King David had the Holy Spirit. But remember when King David sins, what does he say to God? Please, please, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because in that era, the Holy Spirit was not a permanent gift. You and I live in an incredibly privileged time in which every believer in Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit and it is an irrevocable gift. God will never remove His Spirit from us. Never before in the history of humanity has this been true. Okay? So one of the gifts is the Holy Spirit. What else? What now? The, the Scripture is being open to us. Okay. And, I'm, and, and I, we God. really do. Um, I'm going to say that that's a little bit to do with the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us and enlightens us. But yes, surely one of the blessings of having the Holy Spirit, and I should make that a capital H before you guys write me emails. What else? 
Any other spiritual blessings you can think of? What about spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts. I'll go there with you. Okay. What else? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. What about the air we breathe? Okay. Um, here's why I'm not sure I'm going to call that a spiritual blessing. It is absolutely a blessing. You are dead right about that. But everybody gets that blessing. Everybody does. That's not something that's new and unique to this experience of knowing Christ. I, and I, I don't want to go backwards on you, but okay. you know the, the blessings you're talking about, a lot of it's perception. You know, and, and how I look at the, the situations that I'm in. And the more I focus on God and see God in every situation, even with the loss of my 14-year-old niece, you know, it's my perception. And, and you know, that ties into what blessings I believe that I get here on earth. No matter what it is, I don't know if there's something more, but I choose to look at it as the blessing here on earth. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that I think you're right. I think we become, I, I would use a different word than you did as far as perception. I would tend to say, I believe as I grow in Christ and my understanding of how God works, I become more aware that things I used to think were burdens or problems or shortfalls, I suddenly realized are blessings in my life from God. Uh, moments I got fired, moments that uh, someone didn't understand me, and all of a sudden I realized God was actually blessing me in that moment. I thought it was a curse at the time. Um, so no, I think that's true. I think what we're talking about are, are and you're, what you're talking about is maybe individual moments that happen in my life. I think we're talking about truths that are true for every Christian. In other words, these are blessings we can all go to the bank on because we know these blessings are coming at the end. Excuse me? You're doing great. I love it. You're challenging me, so we're doing good. All right. Um, so, what else? I think uh, peace is one of the spiritual blessings. Okay. Okay, we're doing really, really good. Let me give you a couple more, and then we'll keep uh, going on. Um, um, I think it's wisdom and understanding. Okay, wisdom and understanding. Okay, let me throw a few more to you. Uh, I think eternal security uh, falls in there. I think rewards for how we live our lives. I'm thinking the new body that we get when we're in heaven is pretty cool, uh, especially because I won't have to diet anymore. And... Uh, uh, sinlessness, when we get to heaven, will no longer be uh, enslaved to sin. So just a couple of the spiritual blessings. But again, guys, you get, and here's why this is important. If you're a first century Christian, what's going on in your life if you're a first century believer? What does it mean to be a Christian under Roman rule in the first century? It means persecution. It means guys by the name of Nero are going to say, hey, whoa, 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 all the problems we're having in our economy is this cultic group of people called Christians, so we're going to eradicate these guys, so let's just take them, put them in my garden, we'll tie them up, throw a little oil on them, and we'll use them to light my gardens for my parties at night. It, it is an absolute all-out assault on what they believe to be a fallacious cult going on uh, in that world because we weren't worshiping Apollo and Jupiter and all of their false gods. You paid for your, with your life to be a Christian. And here's, what those, and here's why this was so important to them is because what Paul is saying is, guys, 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 you're right. If you're keeping score in this life, if you're, if you're deciding whether or not God is good to you or whether or not God has blessed you by how the score is going so far for you, then us Christians are in trouble. I mean, the reality is the Romans are winning. The score is like 100 to nothing right now. But if you're keeping score the way God keeps score, you get that when we get to heaven, we win this thing. You get that every spiritual blessing is waiting for you and me. Here's why that's important. Because I believe that you and I as Christians today, and even though we don't live under that same type of persecution, are often tempted to keep score in our lives 
the way that people who don't know God keep score. By how big our houses are, by what type of cars we drive, by whether or not we got laid off. And Paul, I think, would say to you and me tonight, guys, we're not keeping earthly school. You and I are living for that heavenly reward, that heavenly blessing. That's what you, and at that, when the score gets tallied then, we win. We win. So don't get discouraged even if you feel like you're behind in the score right now. Yeah. Um, it's when, when I was a kid, it was easy to look at pain and or when I first became a believer right out of high school, it was easy to look at pain and, and say, oh, I get joy out of pain because joy was when I got a D instead of a B in a college class that I didn't care about anyway. Right. But when you... We buried three babies. Hmm. And there's a song... Um, that I just heard, I can't, I can't even think what it's called, but one of the lines is pain, maybe pain is blessing. Hmm. Maybe pain is, is how God grows you or brings you to the place you need to be. How do you get from the pain to being able to smile, hmm. not smile, but be joyful when you see the pain coming the next time. Hmm. I, I think you're asking me something that may not be possible. I don't, I don't know if we ever truly, truly get to the point where we say, oh good, uh, here comes something really, really cruddy in my life. And especially to what you're talking to when you start talking about Levels of disappointment and pain. I mean, th- those are just soulish levels of disappointment and pain in a life. And, and I look at even Jesus. I mean, Jesus is getting ready in the Garden of Gethsemane to go to the cross. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you guys, I don't think Jesus was in there high-fiving the disciples. I don't think he was sitting in that moment going, Woo-hoo! Cross tomorrow! I, matter of fact, if I, if I read the scripture there, he's saying, Hey, God, let's, could we talk for a second here? If there is any other way to do this besides a cross, let's do the other way. And I was saying, is there any way for this cup to pass from me? What he comes to, because he trusts that God really is in charge and that God understands and that God's doing the right thing, is he says, but at the end of the day, your will be done, not mine. I I will go through the pain if that's what you call me to in my life, trusting that the pain is necessary and the pain is right. Okay, So I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's one moment when they're putting the nails in Jesus' hands that he's smiling. I think he's wincing. When they're beating him with that whip, I don't think, I don't think he's singing. I, I think he's moaning. Okay? But he chooses to follow God in obedience even in the pain, believing. And, and here's where you and I got to get to. That God never wastes the pain of his children. That he never wastes the pain of his children. So I don't smile in my pain. I trust in my pain. I believe in my pain. Are there moments sometimes on the other side of my pain that I look back with a whole new perspective and go, Oh my goodness, I, that's exactly what God was doing. And I had no idea. And that I might even at the, that side of my pain get down on my knees and say, God, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to do that with you. As painful as it was, thank you for inviting me to do that with you. Yeah, that may come. But that, I, I just, that's usually on the other side. That's usually looking back. In the moment, in the moment, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't think there's a lot of jump. In the moment, it's, God, I'm going to grip my teeth and choose to trust you because this stinks. Yeah. Okay. Um, before I came here, I came from an apostolic church, you know, the one that she talked about. And uh, when you speak about spiritual blessings, it was like the more, the more spiritual gifts you have. Hold it up your mouth a little further. 
Well, there you go, Caroline. Okay, it meant that the more spiritual gifts you had, or uh, the less the pain you had in your life, the more closer you are to God. And sometimes I struggle with that because um, when I see bad things happening in my life, and I don't have some, I feel as if God is not near me, and I'm like. Really, do I have those spiritual blessings? And it was like a competition. Some people will be like, oh, the more spiritual gifts you have, the better you are. Mm-hmm. Or the, more, the less you have problems in your life, the better you are. And we'll be, whenever you had a, a financial problem, the first thing you'll be asked is, are you tithing? And you're like, okay, yes, so what's going on? So it was like you're given a, a guilt trip in regards to spiritual blessings. So how do I reach a point whereby even if bad stuff happens in my life? Okay. All right, I'll so say with that assurance that Okay, so let me, let me see if I can answer that in, in, a, in a short version. We just said out loud, these spiritual blessings, when do they show up? Heaven. So, guys, I'm just going to tell you right now, anytime you try to keep score on earth, you will come up with the wrong score. Let me say that one more time. Anytime you try to keep score on earth, you'll come up with the wrong score. Because we'll all go and look, look at him, man, his business is so successful. He's making tons of money. He's going on vacation everywhere. Wow. Why isn't God blessing me that way? Anytime you keep score on earth, you'll come up with the wrong score. And so even in this, when you even talk about things like, wow, look at that, that person seems to have a lot of spiritual gifts or, you know, whatever they do, just seems like God, anytime you keep score on earth, you'll keep the wrong score. You'll keep the wrong score. If the guy who writes this passage, matter of fact, let's go, let's go real, real quick. Let's go real, real quick. Second Corinthians. Okay, and I may need some help. Finding this. Second Corinthians. Where does where does Paul kind of talk about his oh there it is. Six. Thank you. You were exactly right. Okay. Okay, so here here we go. You ready for this? Okay. This is this is Paul, the guy who just wrote Ephesians to us. This is probably the most sold out. This this guy is gonna have rewards in heaven that make you and I look like paupers. Okay? But stop and think if you tried to keep score of Paul's life while he was alive. Okay? Here's what here's what Paul says. Uh, Let's start in verse 3. Chapter 6, verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commended ourselves in every way, enduring great hardships in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, riots. So he'd go to a town, he'd start talking about Jesus. The town would riot against him in hard work, sleepless nights and in hunger, in purity and understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love and in truth and speech. Uh, Okay, we got off of what I wanted. Where's the part where he gets shipwrecked? Okay, is that further on in 2 Corinthians? Help me find the shipwreck. 2 Corinthians 11. All right. Oh, here we go. There we go. Verse 16. 11.16. 11.16. Okay, here we go. Let's go to verse 23. Okay, uh, verse 23. Are my servant, are, are they servants of Christ? Am I not, I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more the servant of Christ. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged by more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes. Why did he get 40 lashes minus one? Why did he get 40 lashes minus one? Because the Jews believe that 40 would kill you, so they would give you 39. 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three uh, Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea floating... 
I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food and I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Now, guys, if you're keeping score, Paul is a disaster for God. What did Paul just tell us? Anytime you keep score on earth, you will come up with the wrong score. You've got to keep score in heaven. You've got to say, hey, is what I'm doing, is what I'm suffering, is what I'm going through, is the unfairness of my life, is the inconvenience of my life, is the injustice of my friends, is it contributing to the name and to the cause of Jesus Christ? And if it is, then I am scoring touchdowns. And my score is being kept in heaven. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, and you need to, if we don't get anything else out of tonight, we get this. If you try to keep score on earth, you will blow your life. You will live for all the things that your neighbors live for and all the things that your friends live for and all of the things that people who don't know God live for. If you keep score on earth. And and, and you need to hear this. Being a Christian is not about being comfortable and it's not about being successful. And if that's what you think this is, you're in the wrong boat. You're in the wrong boat. Being a Christian is about following Jesus Christ no matter where he takes you. And if that's being shipwrecked, if it's three children who die, if it's losing a job, I will follow Jesus. That's what being a Christian is. It's saying, I am in this and there is nothing you can do to get me out. I will follow Jesus or die trying because I'm not keeping score on earth. To bring this back where we started. Oh, okay. (laughs) The the adoption that comes with uh, belief in Christ as our Savior at the resurrection, what this is about is that with the adoption, which is unique, because when you're adopted by God, you're chosen by God. And that's what that, I believe, is all about. And with the adoption, you become a full member in God's life. And the gifts are the, um, they're the divine gifts of the Holy Spirit that you may not have at the moment but be assured that they're there in yours as you grow wiser in your faith and you deepen your commitment as you go. And see, it has to do with the spiritual relationship. It has nothing to do with Paul being beat up in this world. It is absolutely the opposite. Okay, I, I'm not sure I followed all of what you said. I think I caught some of it. Um, here would probably be my caveat back in, in, in this. I believe Paul here, when he talks about this in Ephesians, says these are our gifts in heavenly realms. So I think he's talking about something that does not necessarily fully transpire here on earth. He is saying heaven is when I get all this. And that includes the adoption of sons. You know, the scripture even says we await the adoption of sons because the reality is you and I still don't have the legal standing yet. We've been called sons, but they get the final legal standing when we stand before Jesus in heaven. And the adoption becomes complete. It's like the paperwork's been filed. The judge just hasn't signed it yet on the deal. Where are we at on time? Four minutes. Okay. I just wanted to ask a question. It goes back to the second Corinthians that you were talking about. Yes. In the next chapter, chapter 12, he talks about the third heaven. What yes. is that? Uh, right above the second heaven, <laughs> below the fourth. <laughs> um, okay, uh, 
Um, all right, I'll give you the really, really quick answer because we got four minutes. Why not? All right. Uh, it's really what he's doing is you got to remember Paul is talking culturally. And you and I no longer use these same uh, cultural terms uh, that they do. Okay? But if you got to remember he's talking to a Greek culture. And in Greek culture, they had designated different heavens. Okay? The first heaven would have been what you and I would call kind of the atmosphere. It's where uh, birds fly. The second heaven would have been where the stars are. Paul, in order to help them understand, when I say heaven to you Greeks, I'm not talking about... Because if you were a Greek, where did God live? Mount Olympus. Okay? This whole concept of heaven is foreign to Greeks in a Christian sense. Does that make sense? So when they used the word heaven, they were either talking about the sky where birds flew or they were talking about the celestial or where the stars were. Paul, the reason he says third heaven here is because he's talking to a Greek crowd and he says, I want you to know I'm not talking about the stars. I'm not talking about where the birds are. I'm talking about something that's even beyond that. And it's where God resides. And it's not Mount Olympus. And that's why he uses that terminology. It's a great question. And those other guys have that wrong. So, okay. okay? All right, so what do we do? We're going to go ahead and stop there. Here's, here, um, <clears throat> let's see where we're at. Where do we get to tonight? We got the three. All right, wow. So we're going we're gonna to be really challenged to get through Christmas. All right, so here's, um, Here's what, here's what I'm going to try and do next week. And, and so you either may opt in or opt out or say I want to or don't want to. Uh, some of the terminology that Paul's getting ready to use in the next few verses, uh, let me just give you a foreshadowing of it. Uh, verse 4, he's going to use the word, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. What does that mean that God chose us before the foundation of the world? Um, later on, just a little further in this passage, he's going to say, and he predestined us. Um, what does that mean that he predestined us? So uh, next week, I'm just going to go ahead and we're going to park there a little bit because this is something that Christians have argued about for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, they have never gotten it right. We're going to get it right. No, I'm teasing. Uh, but we're going to have that conversation, okay? And uh, we're just going to spend some time talking about what does it mean for God to be sovereign? What does that really apply to? Um, some of you guys would have heard the terminology of Calvinism and stuff. What does the Bible say about that? So if that intrigues you and interests you, then you want to be back next week. If you go, I could give less about that, well, then you can skip next week, okay? Uh, but we'll spend some time talking about that. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll be done. We'll go. I'll be out on time for the first time in a long time, okay? Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for a group of people hungry to come out and to study Scripture uh, together. And God, thank you for... Uh, hungry hearts and for raised hands and for a willingness to push back and forth uh, with the Bible. And God, I just ask that you would make us like the Berean Christians who said they studied these things to find out for themselves if they were true. God, make Cornerstone like that. God, thank you for tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you, guys.